Take your Bibles again and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, our theme verse that we looked at in the first assembly. I'm thankful to those brothers that read the scriptures about David and Solomon and the New Testament counterpart to that Old Testament temple being found there in Hebrews chapter 12. Those were Paul's words to Jews. When he had a chance to write the Jews, Paul did not write them about some millennial kingdom on earth where the nation of Israel would be given to the Jews again and a temple rebuilt. That would be a third temple, of course. And animal sacrifices restored and other fables of the Jews. He described the heavenly kingdom that we're part of as Gentiles, the Jerusalem that is above, the general assembly of the saints. That Jewish stuff is blown out. The the Gentiles are brought in. We have received a kingdom. The book of Haggai has been fulfilled. The word yet once more had already taken place. That is why Paul said, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom. That shaking of heaven and earth had already taken place with the Old Testament shaken away like dust off a rug and the New Testament remaining of the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles. One of the ways in which you can stir up your first love is to go back and find David's love for the Lord. And then bring it into the New Testament and see the Apostle Paul and the love of Christ that constrained him. Those men had exceptional relationships with the Lord and walked with Him and had great passion for Him. And we want to have it as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. I hope that you can go home today with one simple four-letter word, more, in your mind. What can I do more of for the Lord? How can I raise up more love to Christ? We sang that already today. More love to Thee, O Christ. We want to do more of those things that please Him. We are not earning our way to heaven. We are not legalists. But the religion of both Testaments is doing things to please God. Under the Old Testament, it's doing to be delivered from the curse of the law. Under the New Testament, it's doing because we have been delivered from the curse of the law by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take a little bit of time here in this second assembly and just show you that the New Testament, especially those epistles by our beloved brother Paul, are always asking for more. And the concept of what we're trying to do here by giving the Lord a better church is not wrong. It is purely apostolic. We are not to be content. We are to increase. We are to improve. We are to grow. And we are to show the things that please God more and more. This will be very simple. We're going to take a New Testament survey and see what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ thought about the churches in the New Testament. So let's turn to Romans chapter 1 and see what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church of the Romans in the capital of the Roman Empire. Romans chapter 1. My point is very simple. 
the idea of improving, the idea of increasing, the idea of growing is what the Bible is all about. It is not retiring. It is not being content. Although there is a place for contentment in Christian growth. But as far as our relationship with the Lord, we should never be content with it. We want it to advance and improve. And in our conduct, as to how pleasing it is to the Lord, we want that to improve and increase as well. Romans chapter 1. Here's how we're going to do it. In reading the New Testament, and in wanting to find for our future what the Lord would have us to do, and what He would have us to emphasize... I've given you my favorite theme verse. That as we have received how we ought to walk as Christians and to please God, we would abound in it more and more. Well, that's true in every epistle. So let's look for it. And let's just establish to ourselves that this is what God wants from me. He wants me to be giving Him my best. You know, whether it's the first commandment, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, That is first. That is that you need to give Him first love. He is very jealous and doesn't want to share His glory or our love with any other object. I don't care if you go home with Psalm 101 and the word more. If you go home with Psalm 101 and read it again and humble yourself before it and tell the Lord, this is the way I want to live the rest of my life and I want to give you more than I have been giving. And like Jerry, I want to restore my first love towards you. We will have accomplished today what we need to accomplish. The days to come are going to give us the specifics of the goals and traits and targets that we want to aim for and how we can achieve them as a church. Okay, here we are with the Apostle Paul writing the church in the capital of the empire. He says about this church, verse 8, first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, that's a wonderful commendation from the Apostle Paul. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You you have a worldwide reputation of being a great church with great faith right here in the capital of a pagan empire. But he says, as God is my witness, I've been trying to get to Rome for some time, because in verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. Now I want you to notice that he can commend the church at Rome as having a worldwide reputation of great faith, and yet he says, he calls God to record as a witness that he wanted to get to Rome because they still had a Uh, it's 16 chapters worth of things they needed to learn and things they needed to do. And he described it in verse 11 as, for I long to see you that we can retire together in Rome and think about all that we've accomplished as a church. No, he says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end. I have a goal in mind that ye may be established that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, that I might bear some fruit among you, this is verse 13, as I do also among other Gentile churches. So the point being, 
A church with a worldwide reputation for great faith was in need of an apostle to get there and show them some things that they needed to do better. Some things they needed to learn and some things they needed to do. So what did the Apostle Paul give this church to make them a better church? The book of Romans. So we have our epistles. And we know what the book of Romans is for. It's to take a good church and make it a great church. It's to take a church with a worldwide reputation and increase it in other graces beyond faith. That they would be an established church. A solid, a rock solid, great church by Paul's efforts toward them. The point being, more. The point being, we cannot relax as Christians because we're in a warfare. We, we have to dig down deep with the help of Almighty God, the encouragement of His exceeding great and precious promises, and by the divine power He's given us, and we can achieve by partaking of the divine nature and escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. Right. We want to be like Solomon's temple was to David and Solomon, the best they could build. We want to be like Zerubbabel's temple, the best they could build with far more limited means. We want to give the Lord the best church that we can. We want the higher ground that we just sang about. We want to look at this epistle and realize that though Paul will start an epistle off commending them for being a good church, he quickly starts into the things they need to learn and do better to be an established church that can have fruitfulness like other churches that Paul visited. So Paul's visiting us. And we're going to look at all of his epistles to find out what he wants from us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Of course there's other things in Romans that we could look at. This study is a study of the New Testament. What does the New Testament teach that a church ought to have? You know, we love the first two verses of Romans 12, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and it goes on to list things that that Roman church should be doing, and that was giving their bodies a living sacrifice. There is a whole movement today in Christian circles that would consider this kind of a service rule-mongering, legalism, deadness, because we don't have a praise band driving your blood pressure up from the inside of your body instead of your spirit. And so they make fun of a church like this, but we are going directly to the pages of Scripture. What would the Apostle Paul say if he were visiting us today after we have celebrated 35 years of church history? This is what he would say to us. We start with Rome. I commend you for being known around the world for being a faithful church. But I've got some things that you could do better. And it takes 16 chapters for me to list them. And we want to learn those things. And we want to see what we're not doing well. And we're doing most of them. But we want to pick those ones that we're not doing well and do better at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses, verse 1. Look what Paul has to write this church. Now let's back up so that I can show you that he likes to start off with commending. Verse 4 of chapter 1, I thank my God always on your behalf before I tell Him what a terrible church you are. 
But he does start off by saying, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. You don't have any love, but you are certainly enriched in all utterance and knowledge. You have the word of wisdom. You have a word of knowledge. You have the gifts of utterance. You speak in tongues. You have prophets. You're doing all that stuff But you know what the rest of this epistle is, all the things they weren't doing. They had given up on the resurrection of the dead. They had given up on church discipline. They were messing around with divorce and remarriage and fornication of a man with his father's wife and so forth. But he starts off commending them for something that he could find good in Corinth. And it took him a while, but he found it. Now we come to the first four verses of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. That is a very interesting statement. And it's a verse that you might want to remember if you are ever debating with charismatics or Pentecostals. Though they had so many gifts of the Spirit, Paul couldn't speak to them as spiritual because they were carnally minded, though they were doing this in tongues all the time and bragging about their tongues. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, But as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And he goes on to describe their carnality and their strife as the four preacher factions that were in the the church at Corinth. Some said they were Paul's followers. Some said they followed Apollos. Some said they followed Peter or Cephas. And others sanctimoniously said, we follow Christ. And he is rebuking them for the fact that they were still carnal. He couldn't really preach to them good spiritual truth because they were a carnal church. So notice, here we have 16 chapters, then 13 chapters, 29 chapters to the Corinthian church. Though he commended them for all their spiritual gifts, they were a carnal church. They were not ready to handle spiritual truth. They were little babies. He had to feed them with milk instead of meat because they were fighting. The point right now is not so much for us to take the lesson of Corinth and apply it to us, though we can and though we should a little. The point I want to make is that the New Testament is constantly pressing churches to get better. Because I want us to go home in a few minutes wanting to get better. Wanting us to be like Psalm 101. Wanting us to be like 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. We don't want to be carnal. There shouldn't be any fighting in our church. There shouldn't be any divisions. We don't want any cliques. Because those things reduce us to being a carnal church and God will withhold the true spiritual blessings from us. He wants us at peace. A father that has a family where the children all love each other and the children honor their parents and they cheerfully and joyfully exist with each other, that father wants to reward that family because it is such a blessing to him. We want to be that to the Lord of heaven. The Corinthian church was not. The point being, Paul is constantly pressing for more. Though he could tell them in the first few verses that they had some charismatic gifts, and they were the first church. 
No other church had more gifts than they did. That's why he said over there in chapter 1 that ye come behind no church in your gifts. Verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You people are crazy about your gifts. And you're in first place. I give you a blue ribbon for having had the most gifts in speaking in tongues and in knowledge and in prophets. However, you are a pitiful church. You are dangerous to me. I fear that you are open to another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit because you are so carnally minded. Because I can prove that you're carnally minded by the amount of fighting going on in your church. By you clamoring for one preacher against another preacher. So let us get the lesson. That if we're going to be a great church, if Paul were to come and visit us, and we are to take the written evidence of what he would say, he would be encouraging us to improve those things that are lacking. To abound more and more in apostolic religion. Oh, look at chapter 12. I mean, you can't... You can't pass this one over in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he is dealing with the gifts that God had given to the New Testament church in chapters 12, 13, and 14. So there's three chapter section in which he is going to straighten them out for their abuse of the New Testament apostolic gifts. And after he lists the gifts in verse 28, and after he says in verses 29 and 30, that no one has all those gifts. He says in verse 31, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. You have heard this verse from me many times. I know that. So don't think that any further. I know that you've heard this verse from me before. The point I'm trying to make is, notice the apostle is always pressing them for doing something more. We want to abound more and more. If you won the mile for a 4A high school, if for your state, would you be offended by Baylor University's track coach or Oregon's or Arkansas's, the three best track and field programs in America, if they took you aside and said, you can be an NCAA winner and win at the collegiate level and take the NCAA for a mile. That means all the colleges and universities in America. But I'm going to have to ask a little more of you. You follow where I'm going with the word more? I'm going to have to ask a little more. Instead of sitting in study hall and drinking a half gallon of chocolate milk out of the cafeteria, and eating Lay's potato chips, and winning the 4A mile in high school, which you can do both, you are going to have to give me yourself, and I will train you over the next four years to be an NCAA mile champion. After you win one of those, since there's a lot of universities and colleges in the, unite, in the world that are not part of the NAACP, or NCAA. That's another organization that doesn't know how to run. Because there's universities around the world and there's athletes in other nations, then you meet with a professional coach that will get you to an Olympic medal, and he's going to tell you, I need a little more out of you. 
You know, when you were at Arkansas, you played basketball and baseball as well as track and field. I want all of you. Because to win an Olympic gold medal, I need more. The Apostle Paul would reason this way with us because he reasoned this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I now say it for the fourth time today. They which run in a race run all, but one wins the prize. And in order to get that prize, we want to give the Lord more. And it is not a burden. The yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ is easy. And His burden is light. It is only heavy when you are in the flesh and you are hearing me preach in the Spirit. That is the only time it's heavy. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, if I heard somebody correctly, if I heard somebody in this pulpit, in this service, they said it was like walking with your feet off the ground. Like you were floating on air. Or you were floating in the air. That you were bouncing around in two feet of mud with a hundred pound spool of wire and yet you were light on your feet. Did I hear that? His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The more you give the Lord, the better your life is. The more you turn over to Him and the more you seek His pleasure and delight in your life, the happier you'll be. Because that is the fulfilled life. If you try to hold back your life and protect it for yourself, you are going to be miserable and unhappy. The more you turn it over to Him, the happier you will be. The lighter your feet will be. The more joyful and fulfilled you will be. And so this word more is not a word to dread. Every, in everything else you do, it's, it's to dread. You know, you finish the dishes and somebody walks in and says, I have some more. You know, some woman's in the laundry and here comes your husband with his arms. I have some more. You know, two more loads you can see in his arm. More is a bad word in everything but this. You know, you think you're done for the day. Adam thinks he's done by cutting down ten trees. And a man, the customer comes out and says, I have five more in my backyard and I want them done today. More is bad. But not with the Lord. More is good. More is better. He deserves more. And the more you give Him, the happier you'll be and the lighter you will be. This, these principles are outside our normal natural thinking. I already shared with you earlier in this service, Proverbs 11.24, that there is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. That doesn't make mathematical sense, but it is the truth of God's Word. And the Bible says, if we will lose our life for His sake, we will find it. If we try to find and keep our life that we want for ourselves, you will lose it. And it's been my privilege at the age of 58 to watch people try to save their lives by not giving their all to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they lose them. They're miserable, they're unhappy, and they do not have God's blessing. Then there are those that give themselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses them, and they find their lives to the happiest of people. So all of that was to say, the word more is only bad when it comes to laundry and dishes. The word more is good when it comes to what we can give the Lord. David wanted to give the Lord more than a tent. David wanted to give the Lord more than iron. He wanted gold and silver and marble and cedar, the best cedars of Lebanon in that temple. 
And we want to give the Lord the best we can. So what does it say in 1 Corinthians 12, 31? But covet earnestly the best gifts. Stop fussing with tongues, you Corinthians. They're the least gift God ever gave the church in the list that I just gave you where I ranked them from first, that is apostles in verse 28, all the way down to diversities of tongues. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Seek to be an apostle, prophet, or teacher, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. This simple little concept right here is the apostle telling the Corinthians there was a more excellent way to serve Jesus Christ. Now, if we had Paul here, we could get this from him because this is what he put in writing to us, that it's not being an apostle, it's not being a prophet, it's not being a teacher, it's learning how to love other people in the way that verses 4 through 7 describe love. We have one sentence there with 15 clauses. All of this I have preached to you numerous times before, but I want to show you that when we look at the New Testament epistles, they are constantly telling us more, more. And that that is not a slave driver. That is a man helping us be like David, to give the Lord something better by giving Him more of the things that please Him. And one of the things that pleases God abundantly is brotherly love. And when we learn to love other people by the 15 phrases that are in verses 4 through 7, that is greater than being an apostle. I have taught it. It was called Love is the Greatest. I preached it decades ago because the Lord showed us that. I did not know that when I was ordained. I had never heard it preached like that when I was ordained. But the Lord led us and showed us how important brotherly love was. And I thank Him for that. I wasn't smart enough to find it myself. I wasn't smart enough to learn it from others. But the Lord led us. That love is very important to Him. When we started out 31 years ago, I would much rather preach on the hatred of God. And I did. The first track I ever wrote, God hates all sinners. I submitted it to Dale Carnegie for how to win friends and influence people, and it flunked. God hates all sinners. Does God hate all sinners? Absolutely. Right. Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5, Ephesians chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 12, only those that were chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began does He love because they're in Christ Jesus where He chose to love them. But is there something about the love of God that is wonderful to know? Do we have a song that we sing about the love of God? About taking trees for quills and oceans for ink and writing on the sky and we still wouldn't be able to say all that there is to say about the love of God? Well, the Lord's been merciful to us, brethren, and He's brought us to verses like this and you just got to stare at that thing and say, what is Paul saying exactly? Covet earnestly the best gifts. Try to be like me, an apostle, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. There is a more excellent way of serving God than the best gifts. And I'm going to lay it out for you in chapter 13. And in chapter 13 it says, Though I had all knowledge, though I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, though I gave my body to be burned, though I give every cent off my balance sheet to feed the poor, if I did all of that and I don't learn what's in verses 4 through 7, it's worthless. 
All of this is to say to you, the Lord has a list of targets and traits of the best churches, and we are going to get them over the next few weeks. I have intentionally avoided going after them today because this is just to show you that He is always looking for more. There is a more excellent way of serving God. And the more excellent way is not getting more doctrines, I's dotted and T's crossed. It's learning this. It's charity suffereth long and is kind. It's more excellent. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're taking New Testament survey. We're surveying the New Testament to see that the apostles, whenever they addressed a church, were always trying to elicit more out of them because we don't want to be content with winning the local Boy Scout Jamboree mile run. We want to aspire to a 4A high school mile. We want to aspire to an NCAA mile. We want to aspire to an Olympic medal. We want to win. We want to press for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we want to do. And the Bible tells us how to do it. This is our training manual. It's going to set up targets for us. And we are going to go after them by the grace of God. And today it's just to get you motivated for going after them. I want you to take Psalm 101 and let those eight verses eat you up. I want you to take 1 Thessalonians 4.1 and let abounding more and more eat you up. I want you to go home and give the Lord some onesies. I want you to go home and give the Lord some more. More love. Not more pain. If you're thinking pain when I say the word more, you've just forgot my illustrations I gave you. That's only because you're in the flesh. If you're in the Spirit, to give the Lord more love is the most pleasant thing you can ever do in life. Can you have a date on Friday night with the Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at just verse 18. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord... Pastor, what does it mean when it says beholding as in a glass? We have an absolutely clear reflection of the glory of Jesus Christ. It is not hid from us like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai who had to wear a veil over his face so that they could not see nor understand the obscurity of the Old Testament. But we have it all plain. This passage says because we have the New Testament, we use all plainness of speech. The New Testament is plain to us and we see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as in a perfect glass, not through a veil. That's what it means. But we all, New Testament Christians, with open face, behold, see there's no veil over the face, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we behold the glorious image of Jesus Christ revealed plainly in the pages of the New Testament and not stones that had the Ten Commandments, we see the glory of Christ and the Spirit of of the Lord helps us to grow and advance from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory until we're more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the goal of New Testament churches. And we, we want to love that verse right there. We behold the glory of the Lord Jesus and we advance to it. And so the epistles are written to help us advance to it. 
we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is spiritual power to help us accomplish that goal. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You say you skipped Galatians. I know. Thank me later when we finish on time. I've got every epistle. This is New Testament survey from Romans to Revelation. I've got multiple witnesses for each one or for the vast majority of them. Ephesians is a special one. You know what happened to Ephesus. They lost their first love in Revelation chapter 2. But this was Paul's church. Paul spent two years at Ephesus. This is his baby. He birthed these people. Not that he regenerated them, but he formed Christ in them as it is called in Galatians chapter 4. But Ephesians, look at... You you know what we use Ephesians 1 for? It's election. God chose the Ephesians in Christ before the world began. You know what we use chapter 2 for? God regenerated the Ephesians by the power of the Holy Ghost and quickened them into life from their death in trespasses and sins. But notice what he writes them when he writes his own church. Does he say you can be content with being elect? Does he say you can be content with being regenerated? Not at all. He presses them on. Ephesians chapter 1. He says he makes mention of them in his prayers in verse 16, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is what Paul prayed for that church, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We want to know God and Jesus Christ better. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. We are so wrapped up in this world with chainsaws and trucks that we forget the glory of heaven. It's true of all of you. I just happened to pick on one brother. We get distracted and diverted by this life and the things here so that we forget what the hope of glory is. But there is spiritual power available to us if we will remind ourselves of the hope of heaven and get ourselves off of this life and onto that life. Paul is praying for it. We want to change some of the praying in our church to more spiritual prayer requests so that they line up with the Apostle Paul. Verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power? So there is a spiritual benefit that Ephesus didn't have that he wanted them to have. Look at chapter 3. Do I need to show you chapter 3? How many times have you heard this one from me? Verse 14 starts out, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We've had mentioned in this pulpit today about being part of the family of God in Orville's prayer. This is the family of God. Some of them are already in heaven. The rest are on earth. These verses go on to say that Paul was praying for that church at Ephesus, though they were already elected, though they were already regenerated, that they needed to have spiritual power in their lives to know the full dimensions of Christ's love for them, which passes knowledge until they are filled with all the fullness of God. And that is our goal. Solomon's temple was filled with the glory of God so that the priest could not enter it to minister. 
We want our church and our souls so filled with the fullness of God that it is like that and better than that, that it fulfills what Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter 3. There is a, there is a knowledge of the love of Christ in all of its dimensions that exceeds human knowledge. You have never been loved by anyone even close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, you spend time worrying, fretting about these so-called loving relationships that you have in this world, and I am including my wife. They do not compare to the love of Christ for us. The love of Christ put in its proper place in all of its dimensions, passing human, ordinary knowledge, will change your life. It will allow the emanating glory of God into your life and our church like it was in Solomon's temple. And we do want that. We do want that. But do you know what power has got to do it? The power of the Holy Ghost. And we have got to be praying for it. It's right here. This is church. Should they just sit back and say, hey, I'm elect and I'm born again? Not at all. Paul did not relax at all. He kept pressing this church. Look at in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 are the work of the ministry and the work of the church until the body makes increase of itself. In the last part of verse 16, that maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. I've shared that with you recently, so I'm not going to share it again. It starts out with ministers in verse 11. The duty of ministers runs down from verse 11 to 15. And in verse 16, it's what every joint and every part supplies so that we can grow up to the full measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to look like the Lord Jesus Christ, to the full measure of His stature. However tall He is, and however handsome He is in spiritual qualities, we want to grow up and be like Him as a church. And we can do it by the ministry and each member doing their part by what every joint supplies. If we all go home and get lit up with Psalm 101 or 1 Corinthians 12, 31 or Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 or whatever passage it takes that stirs you up, we will head in that direction. And we are going to head in that direction by God's grace. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Just give me a couple more minutes. I prom- Remember I promised you, I know that promises sometimes are cheap. But just give me a couple, a few more minutes. I didn't say I corrected couple. Philippians, some of these things that Paul prayed for are just wonderful. The Philippian church is one of the best churches in the New Testament. The Philippian church, you read through this epistle and you're trying to find faults with them. You go over and read in the Corinthians and Paul's using the Philippian church to pound the Corinthians because the Philippian church was such a better giving church, though they were a lot poorer church than the church at Corinth was. We're told all those things in the New Testament. There's hardly anything bad about Philippi. But look at Paul can't get to the night past the ninth verse before he has this prayer for them. And I love this prayer. Philippians 1.9, this I pray. And brethren, this is my desire for you because this is the Lord's desire for all of us. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. 
It doesn't get any better than that. Look at that list of stuff. And I use stuff to describe spiritual fruit and spiritual blessings. This is what we want. This is what Paul prayed for the best church in the New Testament, maybe. And this, I pray, that your love, and he goes on and describes this list of spiritual blessings that they did not yet have, that he was praying for them to have. We're going to be looking at some of the details of that list. Right now, I just want you to notice that the apostles want us to get better. That to win the prize, we have to be better. That to win the prize, we have to press a little harder. We're on the last lap. We've heard the bell go off at the end of three laps. For those of you that know anything about track and field, you know that a mile circles the track four times because it's a quarter-mile track, although now it is 400 meters, which is nine yards shorter than a full mile. But anyway, that doesn't matter. When you get around three times and you have run 1,200 meters and you have 400 meters to go in a 1,600-meter run, which is nine yards different from a mile, then you hear the bell go off. And what do you do? Do you relax because you're in first place? Paul said, I forget that I've even run three laps. The real race starts now. And he's rubbing his hands. And like Psalm 19 says, as a strong man ready to run a race. You know, the Bible does use metaphors like that, so I am not out of place. As a strong man ready to run a race, Paul's saying, bring it on. I see the, I see the cloud of witnesses around me in this stadium. I see Noah up there. I see Moses. Moses was faithful in all his house. Give me this last lap. Yeah, I see you, Samson. I wasn't really looking at you. We can do better than Samson as a goal. We can have Samuel as a goal. We can have Job instead of Jehoshaphat. We can have David instead of Solomon. Oh Lord, help us to do this. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Lord, help us for your glory. Did you notice how those three verses ended in Philippians 1, 9 through 11? Did they end with the glory and praise of God? That should light you up. There are things I can do that, that end up being for the glory and praise of God, yes, and we are going to do them. We want to advance way beyond seven proofs in five phases. We are very thankful for them both. And we will never forget them and we will defend them with our lives if need be. But we want to do everything we do to the praise and glory of God. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, the sentence runs all the way to the end of verse 18. It's one of the better sentences in the Bible. But I'm just going to read the first three verses because it's just like to Philippi. Here's a church, a good church, and here's how he says in verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. So this is what an apostle wants a good church to do, to be a great church. That ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Now that's a real mouthful. 
But it's a description of spiritual graces that are wonderful. And if you were to read, the next three verses are being thankful to God for the things He's done for us. And then the next three verses are to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends at verse 17. So there are nine consecutive verses that are easily broken into three parts. The first part being Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 11. The blessing of our salvation in 12 through 14. And the glory of Christ in 15 through 17. And you can bet that we will be back to these verses before this series is over. 1 Thessalonians 3, very quickly. 1 Thessalonians 3, look at verse 9. For what thanks, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Now Paul's pretty excited about the Thessalonian church based on that sentence. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Paul is very thankful. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Notice how it immediately moves till we can get better. You're doing great and you're a great joy to us, but we can do better. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Verse, this is verse 12 now of 1 Thessalonians 3. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Those are wonderful expressions of describing a church that is great at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the next word in chapter 4. Furthermore then, he just adds to it things that they could be improving in. Now did he just tell them in verse 12 that they were to be commended for their love? That he was exhorting them to their to love? And he says over here in chapter 4, And verse 9, he says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. There's that emphasis again. He exhorted them to love in chapter 3. He praised their love in verse 9. In verse 10, he's exhorting them to more and more. The more and more is also taken from verse 1 of this chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4 is easy. Eight verses about sexual purity. Two verses about brotherly love. Two verses about a transferable skill and working hard to provide for yourself. And then about five verses or six verses about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the things the apostles taught that we are to abound in more and more. I hope you can see the more and more in verse 1. And I hope you can see the more and more in verse 10 about brotherly love that he just told them in verse 9 that they were doing a pretty good job at. But you know, if love is the greatest grace, then we want to put the most effort into love. Love is defined by 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. through We want to put more emphasis upon that because love is the greatest. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so the Bible is stressing what we need to emphasize and in the days to come. I will share with you what the Lord has taught us by His apostles that are the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, but how we can build our church up with the living stones of you and me. 
to all praise and pleasing and glory to God, which will also be to our profit and which will prepare us at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, as that last verse in chapter 3 just told us. It's when, when, when. And if you've got the heart of David from Psalm 101 or the heart of David from 2 Samuel 7 or the heart of David from 1 Chronicles 22 or 1 Chronicles 28 or 1 Chronicles 29, if you've got the heart of David, you want to give the Lord the best building that we can give Him. It's not timbers, it's not gold, and it's not hewn stones. It's living stones. And so we go home and we give the Lord a living sacrifice today. And if you give yourself a living sacrifice proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, you will find the greatest fulfillment and happiness capable on this planet. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.